through this community. Um, God, that they would know that they're not alone, that you're with them, but also in heart, we are with them. Um, God, we pray you would comfort Misty and, and her mom and, and her family um, in the ways that, that only you know how to. And we pray that you would keep everybody safe um, as, they, as they travel back home. Um, Lord, I'm just thinking about the words in that song, that we're victorious uh, because you're alive. Not because of our circumstances, uh, not because uh, things always make sense, but because you are alive. We know that we are victorious, God. We pray uh, that our hearts would tune to your life this morning as we look at the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just to catch you up, we started in the book of Genesis um, in January. And um, because it's an interesting book. There's lots of interesting things that happen and we've come along the way. But because um, we are marketing geniuses around here, um, we have timed Noah with the release of the Noah movie. Do you guys know that's happening? This is totally planned. We... Clearly, we're good planners around here, and that's what we did. Um, so we're going to be selling tickets after the... No, not at all. Um, but the Noah movie, so we're talking about Noah. Last week, David talked about the flood. He gave you all kinds of cool information about how many sheep can fit in a boxcar, what kind of weird person figures that out. Um, but there's all this good stuff. He talked about dung. Anytime you can talk about poop from the stage, is probably pretty good. I have to throw that in, by the way. I'm the student pastor. It's the only thing they're going to remember that I said. Um, so... But um, but it, it's been an interesting thing, and I don't know about y'all, but I've been reading some of the early reviews of Noah. Have any of you guys read them? Have you, anybody going to see it? You can, you're like, I don't know if I should admit in church, I'm going to go see Noah. Well, so some of the reviews, I, I'm, sure, I, I'm not sure how accurate it will be. I'm not sure her, how accurate Gladiator was to the Holy Roman Empire, but I enjoyed it. Um, so I don't know if you'll enjoy it or not, or if accuracy matters. Um, but, but one of the interesting things uh, in the reviews that I've been reading uh, that, that I thought, that is inaccurate, but, but I thought was really interesting uh, considering uh, what we learn about the Noah story, is that, you know, that the name God, the word God, apparently is not said through the entire movie. It is not said once. They say creator a couple of times. But apparently um, God's more of an impersonal force with Noah in the movie. It doesn't really talk to him. Um, that much, and, and I find that interesting, and again, I just know that from the reviews, so it could be wrong, but, um, but I find that interesting because I think one of the things that's striking about God, especially in Genesis, I was talking to a friend of mine who studies this type of stuff this week, and like it almost offends my sensibilities a little bit, is just how personal God is, right? Like God is just incredibly personal, and you're going to see more of it today, that God is just all about engaging his people, right? If God wanted to be impersonal, he could have just pulled back at the flood, right? And he could have decided, I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do it this way. Um, but that there's actually the, this, this, this personalness connected to God, even in the things we're going to read today. It's almost slightly offensive, right? Like, you're like, oh, should God be that personal with humans? Is that okay? And I don't know if that's why um, they left it out of the movie. But, um, but I don't know. It just struck me. Um, so some of the things we read and some of the things you read about how God reacts, sometimes it's confusing because relationship is confusing and there are parts of God's character um, that are just huge. And especially trying to understand why he would be mindful of us as humans at all um, is probably a struggle. And so if any of that's a question for you, um, you should ask David Eldridge because he's really smart. I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm just going to open doors and just not shut them. Are we good with that? And he can clean up the mess when he gets here. So here's what we're going to do. Um, Genesis chapter 9. 
uh, it kind of breaks up. It's, it's great. It's called the, it, it, it's kind of the Noah covenant. And it breaks up uh, really well in, into these three different areas. The first is kind of a reboot of creation. It, it, it harkens back to Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, the second is the first time that God uses the word covenant and, and starts to speak in covenant language. And then the third thing is the rainbow thing. Everybody knows the rainbow, right? I don't know if that's in the Noah thing or not. I'm sure it has to be. Um, but so, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17, and, and look at these three areas and then talk a little bit about kind of what we can take away from that today. So I'm going to start reading in chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, they've gotten out of the ark here, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And you guys can start to hear the rhythm of the language from Genesis 1 and 2. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So what we see in this first part is, is kind of what I've, what I've been calling kind of the creation 5S. Like, you know, how you guys have iPhones and you never want to get like the, you always want to get the S, right? Like you don't want to get the 4, you don't want to get the 5, you want to get the S. Why? Because they work the bugs out, right? Like they kind of, they, they figure out, they see how it lays out and then they, they fix the things and kind of correct the things that need to be corrected. And God's not like, he, he's not Apple. He doesn't need to wait to figure out what the bugs are, right? Like God's not surprised by what happens. But, but what you see in this is that God kind of, God reestablishes. He doesn't change the covenant completely, but then he adds some stuff to it. So you see the reestablishment of the connection, right? You see the parallel language, be fruitful and multiply. I give these things to you. Right, You see this happening. And, and what God is basically doing uh, with Noah is, you remember when, when David taught the first week of Genesis and he taught about in the beginning God. Some of you guys remember that and how, it's, how important it is that without God in the beginning, everything kind of gets haywire. And so what God's doing with Noah is he's, he's re-beginning. Right? And he's saying, I need to be enthroned. You need to remember what this was supposed to look like. You need to live in such a way where I'm re-enthroned in how you viewed life, right? And then he kind of spreads out the connection from there. And it's a really broad connection. It's easy for us to think about God wanting a relationship with us in that kind of Western, individual, personal way, right? Like, I relate to God, He relates to me, and it's one-on-one. And it's, we, we use the term personal relationship, which it is, but it can kind of limit us. And it's cool to see in this passage that God spreads this out. You'll see we read this whole passage and he, he talks the whole time about not only our relationship to him and his relationship to us, but our relationships to each other, right? And the ways we treat each other. So you see all these things in there about if you do this to him, I'm, this is what I'm going to do about that. And even our relationship to creation, right? To animals and, and to plants and how all that works. That God, God gives back humanity he kind of reboots that whole, I want relationship and I want to give you responsibility. And it's really important. It's really cool to see God do that. Because again, he could have tamped it all down. And, and he does make some caveats, right? He expands these rules. 
You remember how many rules there were in the garden? Right? There was one. There was one rule. Don't eat that. Right? That was the rule. And then what did we do? We ate that. And so God looks back and he says, all right, because you ate that, sin came in. And now that sin is starting to become prevalent, it didn't get washed away with the flood. All sin didn't get washed away, right? Like you still got human beings right in there. And so he says, so here's what I'm going to do. I am going to kind of start to add a few in here. And so he adds these things in about the animals and the humans, because basically what sin did before sin, like animals didn't try to kill humans, right? Like, and so what he says is, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to create a little bit of give and take here. And so since they're trying to kill and eat you, you get to kill and eat them, right? And he says, so so I'm going to make them scared of you and you're going to start to do this. And And again, he begins to account for sin. And isn't it interesting that he says, and I'm going to call any animal to account that kills you. Isn't that weird? So like when that tiger went after Siegfried or Roy or whoever, God was like, I got him. It's okay, right? Like some of you guys are like, no, he said, no. Um, so, so he does that and then he, and then he, and then he builds in this, this issue between humans, which he didn't put, have to put in, in the garden, did he? Right? But then, and it's interesting, the language here actually parallels Cain and Abel. And the story of Cain and Abel, when he talks about lifeblood and the blood crying out from the ground and all of this stuff. And he says, okay, so because of these sins, here's, here's what I'm building in as, as rules and regulations about that. And it shows in that place how much of a value God puts on human life, right? That even if an animal takes our life, God's going to call it to account. So that's a little bit what we have going on uh, with the reboot, with kind of the creation uh, 5S, if you will. And so then we go on and God starts to talk in this language of covenant um, in verse 8. It says, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of
note here is that God works in covenants as opposed to contracts. So, so that God looks at us and God makes his commitment to us based on his character, his integrity, and his values. And God says, I'm committed to this, not based on human response, right? As opposed to a contract which, says, which, which would be God saying, if you do this, then I'll do this. Which is what a lot of the gods um, of, the, of the people, when the people of the Old Testament were walking around, that, that was kind of what their gods did, was that they made contracts. If you do these good things, then I'll be good to you. If you do these bad things, then I'll be bad to you. And, and God, God, God is showing his people, right? It, it, with Noah, he's saying, I'm not going to be a God of contract. I'm going to be a God of covenant. And so in the midst of that covenant, God makes, uh, makes the promise and, and, and kind of puts up a reminder of the covenant. And that's in verse 12. It says, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my bow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me. Look, and the bow just appeared. I will remember my covenant between me. That was a good time. And you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the bow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And there's that covenant, there's that kind of relational language again, isn't it? I will remember. Like the God, the God doesn't really have to remember, but the God kind of develops that relationship, that fondness with us. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all the life on the earth. So two things here. Um, one is the strong, repetitive language that God uses, if you look at that, in this covenant and with the rainbow. He uses words never, never. He uses all, 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 all. He uses I establish, I establish, I will remember, it's everlasting, and I have established. And God uses really strong language, and the reason he does that is because God is making a strong commitment to God, right, and about God's character, and so he's making it clear that this is a strong commitment that this will not happen again. We talked about that last week. David talked about how now we, that's why we don't have to build arcs when it rains, right? Because we know that God said, this will not, I will not do this to you again. And then there's this thing about God placing his bow in the sky. And what we usually translate that as is rainbow. And the reason we translate that as rainbow is because uh, it's not because the word rainbow is in Hebrew. It's actually the word they use is bow, and the word for bow, not you, the word for bow that they use is like, uh, like a bow of war or like a battle bow. Um, so think like bow and arrow. Think Katniss, all right? So, um, so that's what God is saying he's placing in the sky. And, and the reason we say rainbow is because that seems to be all that God could be talking about. It's not because God was like, oh, look, I'm going to show you something cute that happens when rain and sun meet, right? Like, that's, it's not, that's not God's, like, magic trick for the day. It, it's God giving a sign saying, I am taking my bow of wrath, my battle bow that through the flood was aimed at humanity, and I'm putting it down. And I'm bringing my peace to you. I will no longer aim my bow at the earth. That's the promise of the rainbow. And it, it's such a great promise that we don't ever want to uh, discount that or miss that. So that's what's happening in this passage. And it's easy 
um, for me, or it's easy probably for anybody who, who looks at a passage like this uh, for a week or so and, and really kind of digs into it, to just kind of get caught up in, wasn't that cool? Um, but I, I have a friend uh, in my life who has always reminded me, he's a, he's a pastor, and he said his wife would always, um, he, would, he would come home with these great sort of theological ideas, and she would always ask him, well, so what? Right? She'd be like, I'm a mom, and I'm a wife, and I work, and I got all these things going on, and all that's great, but, but how does that affect who I am and what God's calling me to be? And so, uh, if you all give me a few more minutes, we'll look at uh, some of the so what's of uh, what we can learn um, in Noah's covenant with God. The first thing is this. Um, the first sort of so what for us is about connection, relationship, and responsibility. Um, here's the thing. God is constantly looking to reboot his relationship with us when we fail. Isn't that incredible? That like God, God is constantly looking. We, we see in this in Noah that God's saying, I'm, I'm, you're not out, right? Like a lot of us, we live that way. We, we say, if you let me down, if you hurt me, a lot of us, we've been treated that way. You screw up and you're out. And God doesn't do that. God is constantly looking for us. He, he did it with Noah and he does it. You see it throughout the scriptures, him doing it. And, and you see in the person of Jesus, God's forgiveness. And it is for every day of your life. And it is for today. And, and some of y'all may struggle with that. Some of y'all may have decided a long time ago, you're kind of coming because somebody else told you to come. Or, or you're just kind of coming because it's, what else are you going to do on Sunday morning? Right? And, and you decided a long time ago that you were out, that you had done something, that you've created something where you're, you're completely out. And I want to encourage you today that, that God is constantly looking to reboot his relationship with people. And his mode is forgiveness, right? His mode is always forgiveness, is that he forgives and, and washes our sin. And what's cool is that forgiveness isn't a New Testament idea, but the vehicle for forgiveness shows up in the New Testament, right? The reason God can lay things aside. The reason God can forgive and reboot with Noah is because God, who sees all time and everything in Jesus, who was from the beginning and will be until the end and beyond, is the forgiveness for Noah, right, that allows God to reboot. And it's the forgiveness for Abraham, and it's the forgiveness for Moses and the Israelites and everybody and everybody up to all of us sitting in this room. That Jesus is the forgiveness that reboots our relationship with God. Not our ability to continue to do things well or to practice the 613 laws. You guys are going to see it next week. Noah can't even make it through the next chapter. But it's Jesus is the vehicle for forgiveness that, that allows us to reboot with God. But it's not forgiveness just for its own sake. Right? It's not forgiveness just so we can feel better. He doesn't just forgive humanity he says, here it is. Here's relationship and here's responsibility. I want us to do this together still, which is incredible, right? Like if humans did it, we'd say they were stuck in denial. But with God, we have a word called grace. And God says, I want to do this again. I want to reestablish connection with you. I want to reestablish your relationship to me and your relationships to the people in the world around you. And I want to give you responsibility for those things. Right? Relationship works when we reboot with God and let Him be enthroned again. Even relationships that have been broken, God can bring health to if we will allow Him to enthrone Himself again as King and do for us what He did for Noah. 
And, and here's the other part about that. Responsibility isn't just this way, right? When we get into relationship with God, is that responsibility doesn't just work. Okay, God, I'm responsible to you. But God broadens that out, doesn't he? And he says, no, you're, you're responsible to these relationships as well. And responsibility always has a part of it, love. Love for who and for what God has made. And that, that God invites us back into all of that, not because we deserve it, but because he's a good God who loves us and forgives us because he sent his son. And, and so a lot of times we can get stuck in one of these places. We can get kind of stuck along the way and not really embrace all of the covenant with God, right? Like we cannot embrace all of the opportunity with God. We can get stuck kind of in the forgiveness place. You ever get stuck? It's kind of weird to say you're stuck in forgiveness. But the forgiveness place is that place where you're like, okay, God, I know that you forgive me, but that's it. There's no connection. There's no relationship. There's no responsibility, right? And you just kind of go through this cycle of forgiveness again and again and again. Then you can also kind of get stuck in the relationship space. And the best way I can describe that is like, you're the guy on the taxi squad for the team that won the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? You're the guy who kind of, he, he gets a ring, but everybody knows he didn't really deserve a ring, so he didn't really get to play. And so some of us kind of, we get stuck in this place where we say, okay, God forgives me, God loves me, I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Yeah, 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 but I could never do that. I could never be a part of that. I could never be a first stringer, right? We kind of develop in our minds there are these kind of first string, second string things for God. And, and what God wants you to know is that God doesn't make anybody second string, that nobody's practice squad with God, right? Around here, around these parts, we call it doing your deal, right? Like that God has responsibilities for us. God has things for us to do. And, and if you're stuck kind of just in that, yeah, I know God loves me. I know I'm his son. I'm his daughter. One thing I think God may want to say to you today is that, no, I've got things for you to do. Things that I've given, things, things I created before the beginning of time that you can't even dream of if you'll just get on board. And they involve people, and they involve me, and they involve the world, and, and, and they involve more than you could ever imagine. But you have to believe that you're not just here to ride the bench. And then there's the flip side of that coin, which is really easy to do, especially kind of in our world, is to be stuck in responsibility. Right? You get that God wants you to be responsible for things, but, but the relationship went out the window a long time ago, and now you're just sort of God's employee. Right? And if you could quit, you would. But you know you can't because the, the, uh, the, the compensation package isn't very good. So, but, <laughs> but you're stuck in this place where you've forgotten that you're a son or a daughter, and you're like the older son in the prodigal story. And you're going to get bitter, and you're going to get angry. And you may make it in, but you may not make it the way that God desired, which is in the fullness of relationship with him and with other people. So I don't know, maybe you're stuck today, and maybe that's what the so what is for you, is that you're stuck and God wants you to get unstuck. Second thing, um, and I think this is particularly significant for our community, I don't know, um, is, is the idea of covenants or contracts, and that God makes covenants. God makes covenants. God, God doesn't make contracts. God doesn't decide, if you do this, then I will do this. Because God is love, and love is covenantal. Love doesn't say, if you do, then I will. Right? And God is love, and God is covenantal. The problem with us is that we tend towards contracts. And we tend towards contracts because they're easier than covenants. Right? 
Like contracts are easier than covenants. A contract says, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And, and most of our society works on contracts. And a lot of that's okay, right? Like I don't need to make a covenant with AT&T. If Verizon gives me something better, I, I should take it because Lord knows AT&T, if they can you know, put the hammer down on me, they will, right? I got to amen in the 9 a.m. There's a lot of AT&T angst. Um, but, but we should have some contracts, right? Like if you're going to one grocery store and another grocery store has that thing for cheaper, I don't know that you have to have a covenant with the first grocery store, right? You can have contracts. The problem is because contracts are easy, we make them when it comes to love. We make love contracts, right? And, and so... so Jane and I can develop this relationship where we say, well, okay, I'll love you if you love me back. I'll help you if you help me back. I'll be kind to you if you're kind back to me. And so we can do that with each other. We can do that with our kids, right? We can do that with our kids where we can say, if you do this, then I'll do this. And again, there are some of that in that, but we can do that with love. I'll give you my love if you do this, right? We can do it with, I see people, where, where are the students? I see it with brothers and sisters all the time, right? Like how many brothers and sisters relationships are contractual, right? It's punch for punch, eye for eye. I mean, it is like Hammurabi's code, right? Like with brothers and sisters. So you got that going on. Uh, but probably even more striking for us as Christians in a community is this. We do that in our community, don't we? We make, we make contracts of love in our community with people, with people who, who, who have no understanding of the unconditional covenantal love of Jesus. And so we develop these, these relationships with people in our community when we're supposed to be the light, but we look at them and we say, well, you were a jerk, and so I'm going to be a jerk. Because that's how the game works. Right? I have a uh, former student of mine who was talking to me the other day. He's a really nice guy. He's in college. But he's really nice. And so all these, all these girls he meets, they, he ends up in the friend zone. Right? And so he, um, he was talking to his buddies about it, who are stupid, and they... And they were like, oh, well, your problem is you have to be mean to get girls to like you. And he was talking to me. He was like, it's not to be mean to get girls to like me. And I said, that's the dumbest thing in the world, right? Like, that's you deciding that bad rules should define the game, right? But we're supposed to change the game, aren't we? We're supposed to change the rules. We're supposed to believe in love, God's love, that can actually transform other people who don't know that love. And it's way too easy for us, whether it's at the store or at the PTA meeting or wherever it is, to decide that our love is going to be contractual with these people and, and end up losing out. And really, that's what it is. I don't think the word from God is harsh. I think the word from God is more mourning to say we, we're losing out on our opportunity to, to show a transforming love to our community when we have contracts with people. And I know that there are some relationships, I, David Eldridge and I were talking about this this week, and, and I know that there are marriages that are abusive, and there are other things that go on. I don't think God wants us to be in abusive relationships, that's not what I'm saying, but I do think love is covenantal. And I do think that in some ways, some of us need to ask the question, where in my life do I need to start exchanging contracts for covenants? Where in my life am I making love a contract, and where does it need to be a covenant? And the last thing is this. That's a pretty good question. It struck me as I was reading the passage. So if God turned his wrath away from humanity, where is it? What happened to God's wrath? So God says, you know, I'm not, I'm turning, I'm putting my bow of wrath away from you. So I started thinking about that and I started thinking about where do we end up placing God's wrath. And some of us, we don't believe that. 
Some of us, we don't believe that God has really turned his wrath away from us. And, and here's how you can tell, is that you get that God loves everybody else, but not you. Right? You get that God's not, God's not angry with everybody else, but not you. And you won't talk about it because it seems needy or whatever. I don't know. But, but there's that place within you that knows that you're constantly running from an angry God. Constantly trying to please an angry God. And so you think the wrath is still, maybe it was aimed away from humanity, but not from David. Right? And you're living under this burden of trying to overcome God's wrath. And I'm just going to tell you, you're, you're never going to overcome it. You're never going to overcome God's wrath. 613 laws. You, you won't make it out the front door. I don't make it up in the morning when a kid screams and Jane's like, well, you go get him. Boom, I'm done. Right? That's already it. Right? Like I've already thought something or whatever. Even if I get up, it's over. I've already broken it. And some of us are just trying to outrun the wrath and you're just not, you can't. Right? And then, and then the flip side, and I don't know, I think this is probably more of a church culture issue, but some of us say, okay, the wrath isn't at me, it's at them. Right? You see this, anytime there's like a natural disaster or something like that, somebody comes out, somebody awesome, and says that it is, it is God's judgment of X people or, or this group or whatever. And I'm not saying that God doesn't or can't do that. You see it in scripture. Um, throughout that he sends things to certain communities to get their attention and to do things like that. But what I'm saying is God's language is so strong about I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do this again that maybe we should be a little bit slower to pronounce that God is doing this, right? And, and, and I think that's just something for us to know um, as a community. And then, then the third thing um, that could have happened to it, and a lot of times like we do this without even thinking about it, is that we just kind of say, oh, it's just gone. God's wrath just disappeared. And that's kind of the like, oh, it's a rainbow, right? Like that kind of thing, like rainbows and unicorns and where rainbows just get lame. You know what I mean? It's kind of the gooey part of rainbows. And we're just like, oh, he just put a pretty rainbow instead of being wrathful, right? No, that's not what happened, right? Like God didn't become this sort of cool uncle who winks at sin, right? The permissive parent who who decides, eh, I'm just going to let him run around, who read some book that said, be your kid's friend. And so now that's what God's decided to do. Right? But that, that's, that's not him. God's, God's really clear in Scripture that, that wrath is a part of who he is, not because he's mean, but because, because crime deserves justice. Right? And God is a just God. And, and so any of these things, I, I was thinking about these things, any of these things can become a comfort zone for us when it comes to God's wrath. It's easy to kind of hate myself. It's easy to hate other people. And it's easy to pretend it's gone. Right? Because none of that really requires too much movement on my part. None of it requires me to stand in awe of a holy God. Right? None of that requires that of me. But, but here's the truth of where God's wrath went. It's interesting. Tim Keller talks about this. And I don't, this could just be his thought. Tim Keller's a pastor um, in the Northeast. And, and he talks about the rainbow. And he says uh, one of the things that's interesting about the rainbow is that if you look at it as a bow, if you look at it as an archer's bow, instead of it being pointed towards the earth, it's pointed towards the sky. And is that God's kind of reminder that instead of turning God's wrath towards the earth, God is turning his wrath on himself. That ultimately God will answer for his own wrath. That ultimately God himself We'll answer for it. And I don't, I don't know that what Tim Keller says about the rainbow is true. But I know that it's true that ultimately God has decided that he will answer for the wrath that we deserve. And it's kind of this weird place where we, you have to sit if you're going to understand Jesus. 
right? We're going to come up on it in the next few weeks as we get towards Easter. If you come to any of these Wednesday night services, you're going to see it. It is this sense that God's wrath did turn. And, and it turned on Jesus. That through Jesus Christ, God pointed his wrath at himself. If you look at um, Isaiah 53, we're not going to read the whole passage, but you probably should sometime. Start in verse 4. It says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is Jesus. Jesus is the ark, right? Jesus is the one who protects us in the midst of the storm and takes the beating from the storm. Right? Jesus is, Jesus, Jesus is the rainbow in certain ways. Jesus is the peace that we get with God as our Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the carrier of the wrath that you and I deserve. I, 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 I was looking through this and I was trying to figure out, like, that sounds so heavy and it, and it sounds almost guilt-inducing. It's not. It's just supposed to be true. That, that here, here's the thing. The reason that it's important for us to know that Jesus is where the wrath that we deserved was aimed isn't for us to feel bad, but is to know, you know, I said earlier, you'll never overcome. He did. He overcame. Just like we sang earlier today. He, he was the one who overcame. And he is the only way that we will overcome. He is the only way that we will enter back into that relationship that God wants with us that isn't just some sort of religion that says, okay, God, I'll do this if you do this. But it's this covenantal relationship where we're able to live rightly with God because Jesus lived rightly with God. Where we're able to live rightly with other people because Jesus lived rightly with other people. Where we're able to live rightly with creation because Jesus did that. Where we're able to to love covenantally instead of contractually because that's what God did for us. Praise God. That's what he did for us. He looked at us and he didn't say, David, if you do this, then I'll love you. He said, I give my love to you before you can do anything. And when we understand that Jesus takes on our wrath and we quit putting it on ourselves or on other people and we quit acting like it just sort of disappeared somewhere with the rainbow, when we let him take on our wrath, when we identify with him in his death, we will surely identify with him in his life. And it will change us, and it will change our families, and it will change our community, and it will ultimately bring his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. Let me get Bo to come back up. Let me get, if you're praying for somebody, I always mess up the magic words to get the prayer people to come forward. So if you're a prayer person, will you just come forward now so I'm not looking around? Okay. Um, will you throw that slide back up with the, uh, kind of, with the so what's on it? So I don't know, maybe this will help. Sometimes I've got to throw visuals up there. Um, to reconnect people. I I don't know if one of these struck with you today. Um, Particularly, I want to speak to uh, two things. One, the covenant thing. If you know somebody, if there was a relationship and you're like, yeah, that's the one, we would love to pray with you about that because it's not easy to love covenantally. It's not. And then the other thing, this wrath issue. 
if you've been turning it, if you've been turning it on yourself, some of the other ones too, but particularly if you've been turning it on yourself, and, and you just need somebody to help you see clearly what it is that Jesus did for you, and you need some encouragement in that, we'd love to pray for you. And we'd also love to pray um, about anything else uh, that you have going on. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then you're released to come forward, and Bo will lead us in some worship. God, again, Lord, thank you, God, so much that we know that our victory is not based on our performance, but it's based on the fact that you're alive. God, that our hope to be a part of covenant relationship with you is not based on what we can bring to the table, but it's based on your character and your righteousness. God, that our hope to love covenantally is not based on our ability to be better people, but it's based on identifying with the sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus and asking him to come live inside us through the Holy Spirit. God, I pray today we would be released to be covenant people. God, I pray today we would be released to be relational and responsible and connected people with you enthroned as Lord so that when we walk out that door, not by our own ability, but by Christ living in us, we don't immediately walk in to those same sinful relationships and sinful rhythms. God, I ask you to come and and, and just be you and, and show us again your faithfulness today. In Jesus' name, amen. You always stand.